Our festival speaker this morning is Phil Smith, and he should be a familiar face to you. He is a member of College Church and of our College Church missionary family. Phil Smith serves as the Executive Director of Leadership Resources International. And back in the 1990s, Phil sensed a a very clear call to pastoral ministry right here at College Church through our college ministry. So that took him to Alaska where he pastored along with his wife. They pastored for 10 years in Alaska before joining LRI and moving back to the sunny south tropical climate of Chicagoland. He's married to Jessica and they have four kids, Trevor, Oliver, Linnea, Lily. He's attended Wheaton, Trinity. We're so happy to have you here this morning. Phil, please come and share God's word with us. Good morning. Uh, Jessica and I are so grateful for you, our church family, and it is a great privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33? Exodus chapter 33. If you're not familiar with your Bible, it's the second book uh, after uh, the book of Genesis. Exodus 33, the glory-centered mission. To understand what that means, to understand what that looks like, Exodus is a great place to start. As we at LRI trained church leaders how to study the Bible One important question we encourage them to ask of the Scriptures is, what is surprising here? What's surprising in the text? God's Word is chock full of surprises. I mean, this is God's Word, and we're finite creatures. We should expect God's Word to be surprising to us. Look at Exodus chapter 33 Verse 18. Verse 18. Moses said, Please show me your glory. My small group the other day, uh, one of my small group uh, members said, Whoa, boy, that's, uh, that's kind of forward. <laughs> Isn't it? Presumptuous? Well, let's get some context. The story of the book of Exodus begins with God's people, the people of Israel, under harsh slavery, under the oppressive rule of Pharaoh. It ends in chapter 40 with God's people rescued from Egypt, redeemed, and they're on the way to the promised land. And God is their ruler, caring, lovingly caring for them and dwelling uniquely in their midst in the tabernacle, a large tent structure. And Moses most likely wrote this book to be an ongoing reminder for the people of Israel what God had done, what he is like, and how they're to live in response. Come back with me to Exodus chapter 24 to get some of the context. Exodus chapter 24. By this point, God has redeemed them out of Egypt. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. 
God has welcomed the people into covenant relationship. Covenant relationship. He'll be their God. They will be his people. And now look at verse 7 of chapter 24. Then he took the book of the covenant. It's Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. Verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. Verse 15, then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. Verse 17, now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. Notice it wasn't directly, it wasn't a, like a devouring fire. It was like a devouring fire. The next seven chapters, God gives instructions on the design of the tabernacle. But while Moses is up there on the mountain, receiving instructions from God, what it should look like for him to dwell uniquely in their midst, what, is he do- what are they doing? They are worshiping a golden calf. Chapter 32. No sooner had they committed to be God's covenant people, they're breaking the covenant. And Moses throws down the tablets, breaks them as a symbol of that broken covenant. But this story is not simply about God and his people. This is a story about Moses. He had his own turbulent journey. Early in the story, we find Moses as this vulnerable baby in a basket on a riverbank. Later on, he's a fugitive because he murdered an Egyptian. And then when God calls him to rescue people out of Egypt at God's hand, Moses doubts God and stubbornly refuses to believe that God could use Moses and stirs God's anger by his unbelief. Not a glowing introduction that he's giving us to himself here in this book. But by chapter 33, turn back to chapter 33, Moses is a changed man. I'm going to start reading in chapter 33, verse 12. At this point, Moses is urging God, despite the people's sin, not just to send an angel with the people, but for God himself to dwell in their midst and go with them. Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. 
And he, God, said, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. That's in the singular, just to Moses, and that's not enough for Moses. Verse 15, and Moses, he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. Let's pause here just for a moment. It's a surprising request, but we we understand it a little better now, don't we? Why does Moses want to see God's glory? He wants to go back up the mountain like he did back in chapter 24. He wants to see the glory like devouring fire like he did before. He wants to receive new tablets with instructions. He wants a new covenant between God and his people. But here now is the big, big surprise. Instead of God's glory being described as a devouring fire, how is it described? Chapter 33, verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I'll proclaim you before you my name, the Lord. That is who he is, what he's like. This is what he's like. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth. 
and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Just one more sentence. And he, God said, behold, I am making a covenant. A new covenant. So what is God's glory? God's glory is God's goodness on display. I love how uh, Pastor Josh Moody described God's glory uh, some weeks ago. Seeing God at his very best. Yes, sometimes God's glory is described as a, a fire, but Exodus sets the framework of what God's glory really is. His goodness on display. But wait, there's more. God's glory is not something simply to look at. God's glory is something to experience. Look down at chapter 34, verse 6. God is gracious and merciful toward people. Verse 7. He's the God of justice. He who will by no means clear the guilty. So here's one way to describe God's glory. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God's glory is God's goodness on display to experience. God's goodness on display to experience. Turn to the end of the story, Exodus 40. The intervening chapters here are the meticulous creation of the tabernacle and setting it up, and it's completed at this point. Chapter 40, verse 34. Chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. But there are some lingering questions here at the end of the story, aren't there? One, there's sure a lot of barriers and distance between God's glory and God's people. In the tabernacle, there's veils and and curtains, so people can't really see God's glory. Moses only saw part of God's glory. The people were not allowed to go up the mountain. Is there a way to fully, truly, up close and personally... Enjoy the goodness of God. There's another question. These people are guilty of worshiping a golden calf. Yes, God is merciful and he is with them in their midst. But he also said, I will by no means clear the guilty. They're guilty. They should be punished. That this doesn't add up. It doesn't seem to add up. Turn with me to John chapter 1. The story of Exodus is complete, but the story is not done, right? Turn to John chapter 1. John is the uh, fourth book in the New Testament. You know, by the way, Exodus uh, sure undermines that perspective. 
so popular in our day that the God of the Old Testament is the God of wrath, the God of New Testament is the God of love. Really? Does Exodus say that? No, all the way through from beginning to end of Scripture, he is a God of love and he's a God, thankfully, that hates evil. All the way through. John chapter 1, verse 14. John is speaking here of Jesus as the Word. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Could read there, tabernacled among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. What does glory mean? Well, He explains, full of grace and truth. These words, grace and truth, are related to the words used in Exodus, steadfast love and faithfulness. It's very likely that John is taking that passage in Exodus 34 and is saying, here, Here is God's glory. Here is God's goodness on display to experience in Jesus. And then John goes on to show that Jesus' glory is most clearly seen at the cross, where we see God's hatred of evil and mercy. Jesus took our punishment for us on the cross. God will by no means clear the guilty. Either Jesus bears our guilt for us, or we face punishment for every way we're guilty. We cannot experience any paradise or any true relationship with God if we continue to bear our own guilt, which we can't pay for ourselves fully in order to be in relationship with God. God is holy. We need another way to be freed from our guilt, and that's why it's so wonderful. He died on the cross because he could take our guilt for us, and God can be merciful, and he's eager to forgive. John chapter 1, verse 11. John chapter 1, verse 11. He, Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received him? Have you trusted in him? Today, you can trust in him and you can give up on your rebellion against him and you could be a child of God. God's goodness is on display to enjoy Not just experience, but joy in Jesus. Exodus is ultimately pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the Redeemer who rescues us from slavery to sin. Jesus is the ultimate Moses. He's the mediator of a new covenant through his own blood. And he leads his people through the wilderness of life to eternal life, that heavenly promised land. God's goodness is on display to enjoy in Jesus. So what's all this have to do with mission? The glory-centered mission is our theme. What is mission? Let me be concise here. The overarching movement of Scripture from beginning to end is 
God on mission. Creating, blessing, then redeeming and restoring a people to himself. Yet, he invites people to be part of his mission, redeeming or restoring a host of people from every tribe and nation and language. That's mission in the Bible. And I'd like to identify four patterns of glory-centered mission, four patterns of glory-centered mission as we think back to Exodus. Because as early as Exodus, we have what glory-centered mission looks like, and it ripples on then through the Scriptures to us today. How are the people of Israel to be shaped by God's glory? How are our lives to be shaped by God's glory? So think about your life in your own context as a missionary, as a parent, as a student. How is your life to be shaped by God's glory? First pattern of glory-centered mission, obediently reflect God's glory. Obediently reflect God's glory. So in Exodus, people of Israel will be a holy nation because God's a holy God. They will have compassion on the sojourner because God is a God of compassion. They are to be a just people because God is a just God. So on and so forth. God even calls them a kingdom of priests. They will represent God. A priest is one who mediates between God and others. They were to reflect God to the nations. Remember the story of Jonah? He sure struggled with this one, didn't he? He was angry that the Ninevites turned to God. And Jonah said, this is why I made haste to go to, to flee to Tarshish. And then he quotes God's words. For I knew you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The point of the book of Jonah? Do you have a heart that reflects Jonah's heart? Or do you have a heart that reflects God's heart of compassion? What about your heart? For those around you? More like Jonah, more like God's. No, none of us have hearts that are perfectly like God's, but listen to these beautiful words from 2 Corinthians. It says, of Christ followers, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. His work in us, we might obediently reflect God's glory. Obediently reflect God's glory. Second pattern of glory-centered mission, confidently trust God's glory. The people of Israel were to trust God. They were to trust His word, His promises, His character. Moses struggled with this one, didn't he? Mentioned before, and uh, He doubted God's word that God could really use Moses with his feelings of inadequacy. But God said, I will be with you. And as we saw, Moses did start to trust God and his ways. But that's a pattern for mission. 
in hardship, in feelings of inadequacy, in disappointments? Are we trusting the goodness of God? That's glory-shaped, glory-centered mission. Obediently reflect God's glory, confidently trust God's glory. Third, joyfully love God's glory. It's explicit in Exodus. They were expected to love God. And in, in, in the midst of the story, we have this song in chapter 15, and it's a joyful, exuberant song of God and his power and redemption. They're expected to have a joyful love in this God. Come with me to Psalm 145. 145. Psalms are in the middle of your your Bible. And uh, after so much hardship and struggle through the Psalter, we're getting to the near the end here, and there's this crescendo of praise. Psalm 145, and look what God is praised for. 145 verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. And how should we respond? Verse 10, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. And Tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. God's glory fuels verbal mission. Hearts that are delighting in God want to put God's goodness on display for everyone to see and enjoy. Oh, how easy it is for our hearts to be drawn to other things. A golden calf for them, other idols for us, whether more money or, for me, more approval of people or an easier life. What makes your heart sing? Missions flourishes out of an affection. For God's glory. An old hymn, my heart is full of Christ and longs this glorious matter to declare. My ready tongue makes haste to sing the glories of my heavenly king. Obediently reflect God's glory, confidently trust God's glory, joyfully love God's glory. Finally, come with me to Exodus 15. I mentioned it before, Exodus 15, it's this song in the middle of the story. Whenever you see a change in genre, here we turn to a song in the midst of the narrative, it's being highlighted for us. Chapter 15, and I just want to read the end of the song, verse 17. Exodus 15, verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. The Exodus is a story of a journey, of a longing for the promised land where God will dwell uniquely and permanently with his people. 
That's a pattern of glory-centered mission. Longingly anticipate. Longingly anticipate God's glory. Yes, we see God's glory here in Exodus. We see God's glory in Jesus. But listen to what Christ followers will experience someday. Listen to these words from the last book of the Bible, Revelation, using images to describe what we have to look forward to. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And it goes on, we will see his face. Unlike Moses, we'll enjoy God's goodness with unimaginable clarity and endless, fully satisfying delight in Him. Four patterns of glory-centered mission. Obediently reflect God's glory. Confidently trust God's glory. Joyfully love God's glory. Longingly anticipate God's glory. Are those reflected in your life? What is God's glory? It's God's goodness on display to experience and for God's people to enjoy forever. Let's pray. Oh God, you have loved us and have freed us from our sins by Jesus' blood. And you've made us a kingdom of priests. To you be praise and glory forever, we pray. Amen.